following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it as the fourth and fifth graders are taken off, continuing in their worship. Uh, We are in Luke chapter 2 today. Luke is on the right-hand side of your Bible. Luke is a gospel written by Luke, um, who is a physician writing a detailed account for a man named Theophilus. Luke is an extremely credible source, and we have been talking through what we call a classic Christmas, and um, so we're taking some of these these classical passages, and we're kind of unpacking them and uh, putting them into our everyday context. Um, One of the things that pops up in regards to classic Christmas is, uh, you'll hear all the time, no room at the end. So we get that all the time. No room at the end. There's no room at the end. You've heard that a couple of times, I'm sure, this season. I'm reminded of trips when I hear no room at the inn, as we used to go from Monmouth, Illinois, to Erie, Pennsylvania, to visit family. Four times a year, actually, we did that. 12-hour drive, and sometimes we'd have to stop in those old Ford Astro vans. Anybody ever remember those? Smelling like feet, right? Yeah, they were ridiculous. We'd always end up broke um, on the side of the road, too, some, somehow. Um, but uh, we would look for a, a hotel or a motel, and uh, sometimes you would see vacancy and no vacancy signs. When you hear no room at the end, though, some people who are gathered here today, <clears throat> this morning, um, f- for the season, it, it, it conjures up some feelings of, of not being wanted. And that's exactly what's transpiring in, in Luke chapter 2 specifically verse 1 through 7, which is where we're going to look at today, with Mary and Joseph in regards to the fact that uh, there's no room at the inn. There's no place for them. There's no vacancy here. And Jesus is still going to be born regardless. And his mother, Mary, is going to wrap him in swaddling clothes, chapter 2, verse 7, and lay him in a manger. Well, 2,000 plus years later, we're still hearing that phrase, but at Christmas time, I always wonder, where is the place that we make in our lives for Christ? I mean, just it seems like more and more every single year, there's one more thing that we add to the Christmas season. There's one more event that we do, one more thing that we can squeeze in, one more place that we can do, one more Christmas cookie that we can make. There's one more thing that we, we can do. If we, just, if we just strive to do all these things, then God will be glorified. And here's the real reality. It is not by works that you are saved. It is by grace alone. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. He looked upon us with pity, and he said, I love you regardless of your crazy shenanigans. And we praise God for it. Because... When we look at Jesus, he doesn't want just a place at the Christmas season or a place in our lives. He wants to permeate our whole entire beings. And so many of us who are gathered here today, we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you don't, 
then my prayer for you this season is that you would come to know Christ. But in regards to this context, I realize I'm speaking to believers. And here's my question for you today as we start to look at this really interesting passage of Scripture is, what is the place that you haven't given Jesus access to in your life? We love it when he shines light in the places that are really polished, right? That have the Christmas tree up and have all the decor and the decorations. Jesus, you can come into my living room, but please, 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 please don't look in the basement. Don't look in the closet either, by the way. Just hang your coat up on the chair over here because that closet is a mess. So what is the place that Jesus really needs to permeate in your being to keep him on the throne of your life, to, to make sure that he is the center of your season? We're going to talk about this morning why the birth of Christ is important in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And I would ask you, why is the birth of Christ important to you at the same time? Well, let's look at verse 1 and see why the birth of Christ is important. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the very first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, pause for a second. Those first two passages that we just read, it shows that history was perfectly set up for Christ's arrival. Now, Advent season means that Christ came. But Advent season also reminds us that Christ is coming again soon. And while history was set up 2,000 plus years ago perfectly for the arrival of Christ, it is still being set up perfectly for the second coming of Christ. Three things help us lay a really good setting and a solid foundation for this text. Number one, underline it in your Bibles if you want, in the second part of verse one. A man named Caesar Augustus. Before Jesus was born, Palestine, and you might not know what Palestine is, but Palestine is essentially a historic region on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, which contains modern Israel, and you have Jordan, and you have Egypt. And it is under the reign of a Roman ruler, and his name is Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus ruled from about 27 years before Jesus shows up on the scene to about 14 years after. Caesar Augustus is kind of an interesting guy. He was born Gaius Octavius. I would have kept that name. I don't know why he changed it. But in 63 BC, he shows up born. Julius Caesar is his granduncle on his mother's side who adopts him as his son and makes him heir to the throne. When Augustus heard that Julius Caesar had been assassinated in about 44 BC, he returns to Rome to claim his inheritance. Now there's a hundred plus year civil war in Rome that had just come to an end and it leaves Augustus the sole ruler of a massive empire and he brings political peace and prosperity to the land. And he also paves a perfect road for this Jesus to be born, who is the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Caesar Augustus was never aware of it, but his greatest and most lasting achievement was that he helped prepare the way for the Savior of the world. So what? Well, I constantly think about this when I see political figures making political moves. I think, man, you are just ushering in the kingdom of God. Go ahead. Go ahead. Every time that we watch the news, every time we see something that seems out of place, we have to remember that our God knows exactly what is happening. He is not taken by surprise by any of it, and he is using all things for his glory because he's coming again soon, just as he already came. Now, 
There's a decree and a registration that's being sent out in the first part of verse 1 and the last part of verse 1. And the King James Version of the Bible says that all the world should be taxed. So taxes have happened way back then and they still happen today. But a more accurate translation is this. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the entire inhabited earth. That's an audacious task. So political figures back then were making audacious claims even then, right? If you want to circle the word census, if you have that in your text, it means a registration of people for tax purposes to all citizens in the Roman Empire. And that regular census would follow every 14 years. So, what's the application there? Nothing's changed. Three, Quirinius in verse 2. Quirinius is governor of Syria before and after the birth of Christ, which means the census would have probably taken place underneath his reign. This is a common knowledge to people in Luke, and what it does is, is it provides to us a very painstakingly uh, point of view of what Luke did in order to make sure that everything is historically accurate in the text. All of these details had been investigated. Now wait, pause for a second. Hold on. I look at that and I go, well, who's in power here? Is it Quirinius or is it Caesar Augustus? In the Greek of Luke, which New Testament is in Greek, Old Testament is in Hebrew, it is better translated the word first before. So a better translation is this census took place before Quirinius was governing Syria. So Luke is painstakingly accurate here. He's very eloquent. He's very scholarly. His Greek approach is a classical quality here. And he writes as an educated man and gives a lot of archaeological discoveries that show how accurate his words really truly are. In other words, you can trust them. Okay, so, Pastor Jordan, who, who cares? Well, God does, first of all, okay? And second of all, um, this shows how perfectly Christ's arrival was set up for, but also it shows us that the second coming will be set up just as perfect. And the first thing that we see is, whether it's the first advent or the second advent, we worship Jesus Christ. We do not worship Caesar. We worship Jesus Christ the Lord. History tells us that worship was given to Augustus, and we're coming into the point with American Christianity that we're starting to worship political figures more than we worship the Lord. No politician can save us. Only Christ the Lord can save us. Put the political signs down and bring up the praises from the people in the church. Luke declares that Jesus is Lord. Now think about how radical that would have been for him to pen these words in the time place that he lived. In Luke chapter 2 verse 11, it says, In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. Luke makes a declaration of faith in writing that could have sealed his destiny and his fate in regards to being an alive human being. It's not Augustus. It's not any other ruler to be worshipped. It is Christ, the Son of God. Because only Christ can usher in God's kingdom. You may make this place that we live in right now, this earth that we populate, 
peaceful for a time or a season, but only Jesus can bring true joy and peace and hope. Only Jesus is salvation here in the text for all of Israel and those who would believe in him, but also for us today. Church, it is Jesus to be worshipped this season, not Caesar, not a politician. It is Christ the Lord. Now look at the second thing that pops up in regards to those first two verses. It shows that God has always been in control. Augustus declares this census, but it is God who orchestrated many fulfilled Old Testament prophecies regarding the place of Jesus' birth. Augustus thinks that he is advancing his own kingdom, but in reality, he is setting the scene for his replacement. Whatever election we find ourselves voting for, I constantly think to myself, you'll be replaced by Jesus at some point in time. And sometimes I pray that more for people who get in office than others. (laughs) But regardless, Augustus thinks that he is establishing peace for Rome, but really it's the gospel to bring peace and to spread. It is perfect timing. Now, you don't have to go there, but in the Gospel of Matthew, verse uh, chapter 24, it really gives us some interesting words in verse 6. I want to read these to you, the words of Jesus in verse 6. It says, And you will hear, church, of wars... And rumors of wars. And you're to not be alarmed at any of this, for this must take place, because the end is not yet. Nation will rise up against nation. Kingdom's going to rise up against kingdom. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes in various places. But all of these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by nations for my namesake. Many will fall away and betray another. People will hate one another. Many false prophets will come and they'll arise and they'll lead people astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Verse 13 says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations And then the end will come. We worship Christ. He is in control. It's all happening according to plan. Don't be afraid. Verse 3 in Luke chapter 2. And they went, they all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, man, I wish there was more in the Bible about Joseph. That's just me. He is a solid guy. Joseph went up to Galilee, from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Verse 5, he was registered, he was to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. That means she's pregnant, by the way. (laughs) Circle the word Bethlehem there, if you would. Bethlehem was Joseph's ancestral home. He goes back because of a political decision by Roman authorities that allowed Jews to follow their own social customs. Bethlehem was also where the registry for King David's descendants was kept. So Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, but they traveled 63 miles. 
63 miles to Bethlehem. That's over two marathons Mary does with no shoes on and pregnant. That should be like a new challenge, right, for our, uh, our, our country there. Joseph, bless his heart, obediently takes this woman with him. And he follows God to bring the senses, to bring Jesus to Bethlehem. Now, two points here show how God would dwell with his people in a perfect person, which is the second reason why the birth of Christ is so important. It shows how God is going to dwell with his people in a perfect person. Verse 3 and 4 show us that prophecy is starting to be fulfilled. Jesus born in Bethlehem fulfills a prophecy in uh, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It was a prophecy and a promise to King David in 2 Samuel as well, chapter 7 verse 14. This is a fulfillment of prophecy made 700 years before Micah declares the Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. So what's manifesting here is Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which we say it a lot. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. We know that passage of scripture, but what we don't know is the end of that passage of scripture that says, according to his purpose. It's all happening according to his purpose. The events are taking place showing God is in control. Verse 5. God tabernacles. Mary's womb becomes a temporary tabernacle of God incarnate. Colossians, as we've been talking about these past couple of months, chapter 1, verse 15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Think about this. Mary and Joseph going on this 63-mile hike. A God, a living God, dwells in a box in the Old Testament, is now dwelling in a body in the New Testament. And he is about to be Emmanuel, God with us. God dwelling with his people in the person of Christ is a miraculous miracle that we are not to glaze over. Any miracles that Jesus did in bodily form on earth, are minor when set before the wonder of who he is at the incarnation. We do not take that passage lightly. It's huge. It is our everything. Roman law, now this is really interesting, says that Mary doesn't have to go with Joseph for the census. But it makes sense. This is why I wish there was more about Joseph in the biblical text. What a guy. She's in the late stages of her pregnancy. She's probably subject to a lot of gossip that is happening in Nazareth. And Joseph knows that Mary carries the promised Messiah. And so he protects her. He obediently does diligence to help bring the prophecies to fruition and Emmanuel into existence. He is obedient. Why does this matter? Well, Jesus born of Mary, without a human father, shows, first of all, the greatness of God, deity of Christ, but two, it really shows that God desires a relationship with us. The word Emmanuel, for example, means God with us. In this season, I would ask, if you don't know God through a relationship with Christ, is God with you? He might be around you this season, but if you have not confessed your sin and believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then you don't have Emmanuel. You have Emmanuel around you, but you do not have God in you. A natural Savior provides no supernatural help. A human Savior provides no divine help. A sinful Savior is really no Savior at all, but God solves the problem of sin by providing a sinless Savior, 100% God and 100% man in the body of Christ, come to redeem humanity from sin. Praise the Lord. Does he permeate every inch of your being? Third thing, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. When she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him as a good mother does in swaddling clothes, and she lays him in a manger because there's no place for them in the end. The third reason that this is so important for us this season is this is a symbol of God's future sacrifice and humility. Remember, Jesus is Mary's firstborn son. I missed this the first time I was studying this passage, but we know from last week it won't be her only son or daughter for that matter. But Luke underlines the word firstborn, giving emphasis more on the fact that more children would follow. Now, Jesus was Mary's firstborn son, not Joseph's. She is Mary's firstborn. Joseph is going to be the legal Jewish father by adoption, but he is not by conception. Bless this man's heart, right? <clears throat> Luke highlights <clears throat> excuse me, two details that foreshadowing this sacrifice of God and his humility. Underline the words, wrapped in swaddling clothes. After Jesus is born, Mary wraps Jesus in cloths, or swaddling cloths, <clears throat> that are square pieces of cloth with a long bandage-like strip that come diagonally off of one corner. Now, what's really interesting is Jewish New Testament mothers often thought that these swaddling clothes, if done right, would protect fragile limbs, strengthen their backs, and provide proper growth for their bones. Luke highlights this, I don't think, by accident. Why would he highlight swaddling clothes? As a good storyteller, and as a good, accurate historian, this bookends the next part of his text. Because Jesus would be wrapped in clothes, but not the same clothes at the end when he dies. He is wrapped in a very similar way after his burial and death on a cross. There's symbolism happening at the manger. And as he's lied in a manger, Christ is born and he's placed in a manger that was nothing more than a feeding trough. Christ is born in a stable, not in a palace. He's placed in a feeding trough, not a pretty bassinet in a palace of a king. And it shows that God's work goes in the quiet, humble places. God's work happens in the mundane it is not in these massive lights and these sounds and all of these things that we look at and get distracted by. God is often in the quiet, humble places. In Philippians chapter 2, for example, you don't have to go there, it'll be on the screen. It says that although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself as a sacrifice. He was humble in taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul will also write, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He humbled himself. You, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, we have something that happens in our everyday lives that is really interesting at that very last verse when Luke drives home the point of Christ's humility, saying there's no room at the inn. If you want to, you can circle the word inn. It's not merely an enclosure. uh, Excuse me, the inn is, is like an enclosure or a place that travelers drove their cattle for the night. Do we have something in our society that, that could show us what this is like? Absolutely, 100%. Ready for this? It's where Amish people park their horses. I will never look at, at that the same ever again. That is exactly where G, G, uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus find themselves when there's no room at the inn. They legitimately go to where the horses are parked, and they are on not even a concrete pad. It's probably dirt. And all the people are passing by them who have their own room. This is a crowded place. It's not some place that's off in the distance. It's probably most likely in the middle or on the edge of town. All these people have places to stay. And they're looking at these people. And there's probably some people who look at Mary and say, Oh, look at that poor girl. She just had a baby. Look at that poor guy. I wonder what he did. Now, in that society, you would look at those people and say, I wonder how much they sinned. And you'd walk right on by them. And here's the other thing that we miss in the manger scene. That Mary and Joseph only brought so much food. Babies go to the bathroom. Babies do crazy stuff. Babies puke everywhere. They're like little pop bottles. You shake them and they just throw up, right? Where does that go? I have so many questions. Mary and Joseph are 100% dependent on God providing for every single need that they have. Jesus is born in pure, humble poverty. And as far as we can determine, Mary and Joseph and Jesus are completely alone, completely dependent upon God for every single one of their needs. Moms who have children, can you imagine being a mother next to an Amish uh, horse parking spot wondering, where is my baby going to get food? We, we don't think about this stuff. We look at it and we think about it like in a VeggieTale video. It's not the way it was. At the end of the day, Mary and Joseph could say, I saw God provide, not just by sending Emmanuel, but he provides for all of our needs. No room at the end became the prophetic words of the truth. He came, John chapter 1, verse 11, unto his own, and his own received him not. It is a symbol and a foundation of God's future sacrifice and humility. Now, here's what I think. I wonder if Mary and Joseph had the conversation. Joseph, do you think this Jesus will forgive us of our sins? Mary, do do you think the prophecies that we know so well are going to come true through this child? And here's what I, I really wonder what they thought. What is our response? What is our response to this child Is there room in your life for Christ? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
then today is the day of reckoning, and, and you should trust Christ as Savior. But so many of us here have, and the attitude towards Christ has to be approached. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that Christ wants to settle down and make himself permanently at home in our hearts. He doesn't want access to just the living room. He wants access to all the rooms. And he can't do a great work in our life unless we give him access to everything that's going on. Our troubled kids, our, our troubled jobs, our, our, our problems that we wrestle with inside, our insecurities, our insufficiencies, all of those things. Christ says, I want access to that right there. I don't want you to wait for some convenient time. I want it right now. He is a jealous God. And a jealous God is not jealous in a sinful way. Jealous means he's jealous because he wants our time and our attention and our talents. He wants all of it. And he can't do a good work if we lock the doors. Christmas is, yes, the best time to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. But it's also the best time to rededicate and recalibrate your life. And open up the closet and let him in. And say, God... It's a mess, but I know and I'm trusting in faith that you will do a great work here because I fully believe that the birth of Christ is not just important, it is foundational for every specific aspect of my being. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are set up perfectly for the second coming of Christ. And as we get here at Christmas time, we realize that this reminder causes us put at the forefront of our minds that you are coming again soon. All of history is set up perfectly for your arrival. People have said that you are coming for years and years and years and years, and we believe it. We believe that it's true. And we ask that you would orchestrate, continue to orchestrate things, and that you would come back again soon. We are so grateful for Christ this perfect person, you, a perfect God, dwelling with us, Emmanuel. And if you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, make that decision today to trust Christ. And if you are here today and you have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, give him access. His sacrifice was to sanctify you and to set you apart. It was to help you refocus. Christ is our Savior in all things. And the gospel that we have received, God, is not a gospel that we shelf and pull off the shelf when we die and say, look, I, I did this. It is a gospel that we look at and say, Every single day, every second, I was dependent upon you. I put my faith and my trust in your sacrifice. Lord Jesus, do a great work in our lives and our hearts today. May we say with, with faith that there's not no place for you in the end of our lives. But you are welcome here. Do as you would do. Help us to be obedient and submissive. 
in all of that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.